So good morning to all of you. Uh, my name is Stuart Mazell, and I am the lead pastor here. Great to see all of you here, and thank you for those of you who are joining us online or on the podcast. As David mentioned in his prayer, we are continuing our series on I Want to Know What Love Is. And the way we're trying to figure out what love looks like is we're looking at a particular passage in Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we've been reading this entire chapter every time we join, again, not simply because it's about love, but also because we want to get this really into our DNA, that this is what love really looks like. This is what love is about. And uh, in this passage from 1 Corinthians 13, we see so much that we need to really understand about what love really is. And honestly, I know we've been several weeks in this series, but we're just scratching the surface. The scriptures tell us that God's love for us is so high and so wide and so broad and so deep that it takes the power of the Holy Spirit just to understand it. That's pretty amazing. And that's the kind of love we're really talking about, ultimately. Let's take a look and see what uh, Paul who was writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Corinth, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today in this passage from 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains... But have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we are thankful that you inspired Paul to write these words, and that these are really your words to us today. Give us ears to hear, give us minds that will understand, give us soft hearts, that the soil of our hearts would have this seed planted there, and it would grow into producing fruit a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, whatever you see fit in our lives. But we ask that our love would increase 
as we gaze upon the love that you have given to us in Christ, that you've poured into our hearts. And for every person here and for every person who is listening, let that love be more tangible and more understandable and something that we not only talk about or think about, but it is something that is in us, compelling us, changing us, uh, working within us so that we not only love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we love other people as you call us to. Let this be true in all of us, uh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When uh, the newlyweds, Stefan and Erika Svanström, left Stockholm, Sweden, for their honeymoon back in December of 2010, they had no idea what was going to happen. First, they were stranded in Germany because of a giant snowstorm. After that happened, they flew to Australia where there were brush fires raging. And they left that city to go to another city and discovered that there was a Category 5 cyclone just off the shore and they had to be evacuated and spent 24 hours in a mall with 2,500 other people. So the couple flew to Christchurch, New Zealand, I guess to get away from it all, and they arrived just after the city had been hit by a magnitude 6.3 earthquake. And then they flew to Japan, and while there, you guessed it, the country was rocked by the largest earthquake on record in Japan, a nine-point-something on the Richter scale. And then they finally made it back home. And you can imagine, they're thinking, like, what's going on? Is our relationship cursed or something? Everywhere we go, there are disasters. But after it was all over, Mr. Svonstrom said, we've certainly experienced more than our fair share of catastrophes, but the most important thing is that we're together and happy. I have to admit, when I think about the Svonstroms and I think about what it looks like to have enduring love, love that faces all kinds of difficulties and issues, if that is just a small glimpse of what the rest of a relationship is going to be like, they're going to have to have some enduring love because they're going to face it. Now, I don't know what happened to them after that. That's all from an NPR um, uh, article from years ago. But it does help us to start to think about what it looks like for love to endure, love to face all kinds of difficulties. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. What does it look like for you to love? Well, love endures. Love endures. We see that in verse 7 of this passage. 
Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love perseveres, it is persistent. Love is willing to deal with difficult and even painful situations for the good of the other person. I don't have to tell you this, but too often in our society, we have an anemic view of love. We tend to think that love is a a feeling that comes and goes. That's why we fall into love and we fall out of love. We tend to think love of love in squishy sentimental terms, the way it makes us feel. For our society, love is more about self-realization and self-actualization and self-fulfillment than it is self-sacrifice. In our society, love endures only as long as the feeling endures. And in our society, love is persistent only to the degree that it fulfills us. See, that's what, that's what I've learned from watching romantic comedies. Yeah, I mean, that's what it looks like. As long as I have the feels for someone, I'm willing to put up with a lot. But as soon as that feeling is gone, the love is gone too. But that's not the way love is described in the scriptures, is it? That's not the way love is described in this particular passage. When we think about love as being patient and kind, as being humble and wanting what is best for the other person, when we think about love that is giving and generous, when we think about love that is slow to anger and isn't easily irritated, that bears with other people even when they're annoying, that believes and hopes the best about other people, and that endures all things. When we think about that kind of love, the version of love that our society is selling us, it's kind of like a sugary energy drink. You know what I mean by that? Have you ever had one of those, a sugary energy drink? You drink it, and it makes you feel good for a little while, and then you crash. And then you've got to have another in order to get that feeling again. And that's sort of what our society looks at as love. You get that rush, that excitement, but when it dies, when you crash, when the relationship gets hard, then you're looking for something else. Paul says that love isn't a temporal thing. It's not something that has an expiration date. It's not a fleeting feeling that passes when things get rough. It endures. It lasts. It would even outlast, for those of you who remember, the Energizer Bunny. The Energizer Bunny just kept going and going and going and going. Well, that's what love is like, true love. It keeps going and going and going. You know, uh, we talk about Jesus a lot in this church. 
And Jesus is famous for saying that everything in all Scripture, all the commands that God has for us, they can be summed up in two commands. And, and I'm sure that many of you have heard this so often, you can say it by heart. Love God and love neighbor. Love your neighbor. If you love God with all that you are and you love your neighbor as yourself, you fulfilled what God has commanded. That's, that's from Jesus. Jesus said that. But Jesus also said, and this isn't as um, popular as that one. Jesus also said, Luke 6, verse 27, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. What kind of love is Jesus talking about here? It's an enduring love. It's a love that really does want what's best for the other person, even if it costs us something. The kind of love that one has to have to love enemies. The kind of love that does good to a person who hates you. The kind of love that causes you to bless someone who is cursing you. The kind of love that would move you to pray for someone who is abusing you. That is not our society's view of love. That is a different kind of love. And it's the kind of love that this passage spells out. It's the kind of love that God says he has for us. It is an enduring love. In that same passage, Jesus goes on to say, Luke 6, 32-35, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Tit for tat. Not give. Tit for tat. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. A couple of things here. First of all, yes, the love that would cause us to do that has to be an enduring love, a persistent love, a persevering love, right? And that is also the kind of love that the Most High, God, has for us. A persistent love. A love that even when we're abusing His name, even when we are saying bad things about him. Even when we are negative, he still loves. As we said this morning from our call to worship, his steadfast love endures for how long? Forever. You know, I don't know, I'm not great at counting, 
Okay, I'll just tell you that I'm a musician. Musicians know how to count to four. A one, two, three, four, and that's it. That's as far as we can get. But if I counted correctly in the scriptures, the scriptures say that the love of the Lord endures forever in some fashion or form in that phrase at least 43 times. At least 43 times. I think God wants us to know something about his love for him to repeat it 43 times that explicitly. And that's not to mention other passages that say the same thing in a different way. No, 43 times our God by the Holy Spirit says to us, His love endures forever. No matter what else is happening, no matter how faithful we are, no matter how good we are, no matter how our lives look on the outside or on the inside, God's love endures forever. And that's the kind of love He calls His people to have. An enduring love. A love that endures all things. But we do have to talk about this. We have to um, explain this a little further because I find that whenever, whenever we talk about love enduring this way, people get in their minds certain things. Like, okay, well that means if I'm in a relationship with someone and they're abusing me, I just have to stick it out, and take the abuse. And I don't think that is what God is calling us to. For some of us, we think, I'm in an unhealthy relationship, and this is not good for me, and it's not good for the other person, but love has to endure, so I have to just stick it out with this person. Not necessarily. Love doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stick it out in the same way with a person. But love does mean that you want what's best for that person. And so we've got to explain what that looks like a little bit if we're going to understand what it means to, for love to endure. So you guys ready for this? This is a mouthful. All right, so if we're going to understand what it means for love to endure all things in the right way, we need to understand that love demonstrates grace-filled, wisdom-saturated, truth-abiding persistence in the face of opposition. That is a mouthful, so I'm going to have to say that again. All right, so love demonstrates grace filled, wisdom saturated, truth abiding persistence in the face of opposition. All right, so let's spell this out a little bit. What do I mean that love demonstrates grace filled persistence? This is probably the easiest one for us to really understand. It's one of the hardest ones for us to actually live out. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through uh, chapter 5, verse 2. Listen to this grace-filled persistence that we're to have in loving one another. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's a whole lot in that passage, but you can see if we're to love one another enduringly with persistence, it's got to be filled with grace. When that person says to you the umpteenth hundred times something that hurts your feelings, you have to be willing to forgive. Because for the umpteenth time, God in Christ has forgiven you for your sin. For all those times where you're tempted to do tit for tat on the negative side. You know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I read that in the Bible somewhere. So when someone hurts me, I get to hurt them back. No, no, that is not the way of Jesus. No, love is willing to be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving, gracious, merciful, letting all bitterness and wrath Letting anger and clamor and slander be put away from us. Letting that malice that was a part of our lives and our relationships be put away. That's a grace-filled persistence. You cannot love enduringly with persistence without it being a grace-filled love. Right? There are people... I know this might be hard for you to believe, but there are people that have said that they hate me. It's hard to hear. But if any one of those people came in this room today, I can tell you, and I'm not trying to build myself up by this, I'm just telling you, if anyone would come into this room today and say, I'm sorry, you're forgiven, and I'm with you. Let's work this out. I'm sorry for what I did that led to this problem. And we can work things out because love has to be filled with grace that we're always willing to show grace. We're always willing to forgive. We're always willing to go an extra mile if it would be good for that person. Now, you notice I said if it would be good for that person, right? Because sometimes we need not just grace-filled love, but we need wisdom-saturated persistence. Remember what I said earlier about how Jesus said that... Uh, we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. That fulfills all the law. Everything in the scriptures is sort of summed up by that. Well, that includes 
the Proverbs. And in Proverbs 26, verses 4 through 5, one of my favorite section of Proverbs, actually, because I think it's so helpful in many ways, even though it might be confusing at first. Proverbs 26, 4 through 5 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And at first you may be reading this and say, that's a contradiction. One, the first one says you're supposed to answer a fool not according to his folly. And the second one says you are to answer him according to his folly. Which one is it? Well, it depends. It's wisdom. And you need wisdom to be able to figure this out. And you know what? We need wisdom to be able to show love in the right ways at the right time. We do. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. That includes the foolish person. And this passage right here says, answer not a fool according to his folly. The next verse, answer a fool according to his folly. So it just depends, I guess, on the fool and your situation. It depends on a lot of factors, and you need wisdom to figure that out. Sometimes the right thing to do is to answer a fool according to his folly. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's the right thing to love a person in this particular way, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's the right thing to point out sin directly to someone, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you need to help a brother in need, and sometimes you need to let them flounder for a while so that they'll be able to stand on their own two feet. You see what I'm saying? Love isn't simple. Love has to be saturated with wisdom for it to be a persistent, enduring kind of love. The kind of love that God gives us because He knows what we need even before we ask it. We've been doing uh, officer training recently, and we've been going through the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we've been talking about some of those things, and uh, this just struck me recently, that the Confession of Faith talks about how that God sometimes withdraws the sense of his presence from us. Now, God hasn't stopped loving his children but sometimes he withdraws that sense of his presence to allow us to see what our lives would be like without him. We might call that tough love, right? And sometimes that's what God does. He removes the sense of his presence, not his love, but he removes that sense of his presence and allows us to see what life in a fallen world would really be like without him. And then we're like, oh my goodness, I see my sin so much more clearly. I feel my need for him with much more fervency. I see my need for Jesus and I run to him. Sometimes God does that because he knows that's what we need. And sometimes a bruised reed he will not break. He's very gentle and kind, and he sticks with us. His sense of his presence, even in the hard times, right? How do we know which one it is? It takes wisdom, and God's got plenty of it. 
So if we want to be wise in that way and love people with endurance, we need to ask God, give me that kind of wisdom so I'll know how to love this person well and this person well. I did not get permission to say this story, so I know I'm going to be in trouble when I get home. But I know two of my children who, when I asked them to clean their room, and they didn't do it, when they were, this is when they were little, and I would tell one of them, I'm going to take all the toys off your floor and throw them away. That motivated that child. Oh my goodness, i got to pick them all up. Dad's going to throw them away. Dad's going to throw them away. Got to get this up. The other one would lay on the bed and say, I don't care. What works for one doesn't necessarily work for the other. What one needs is not necessarily what the other needs. It takes wisdom, wisdom that I obviously did not have back then, and wisdom that we all need. If we're going to love people well with persistence, we've got to have that kind of love. It's got to be grace-filled. It's got to be wisdom-saturated, but it also has to be truth-abiding persistence. Truth-abiding persistence. We talked about this a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into great detail here. But verse 6, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Which means, in general, love means, loving people means continuing to abide in truth even when the one you love doesn't abide in the truth. And abiding in the truth is not just abiding in the right theology, it means walking in that truth. It means living it out for that person. So I have a, a, a friend who's a pastor um, who was telling me about this couple in his congregation that they were very staunch, very, very strong on the biblical view of marriage till they had a relative that came out as gay and wanted to get married. Um, then they changed. And they didn't change because they saw the scriptures differently. They changed because they were like, well, this is a relationship I have with this person, so I guess I just have to jettison that part of what I believe. And my pastor friend said, it's so hard to deal with this kind of situation because we're talking about people who you want to love well. But how do you love well when people are drawing these lines in the sand this way and saying, you can't be in a relationship unless you affirm everything I do? It, it is hard. But it is not right or good for us to jettison what we believe to be truth. And it's not right or good, on the flip side of that, 
for us not to be grace-filled with someone. And it's not right or good for us to not have wisdom in how we deal with people. I know, that's a heavy calling. That's a high calling. That's the kind of calling that it's like, how in the world can I do this? Remember what Jesus said earlier about loving your enemies and people who hurt you and that sort of thing? I came across this uh, sermon by Charles Spurgeon recently, and I thought, oh, this, 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 this is it. This is uh, one that shows what it looks like when you have real love, even those who hurt you, even those who are saying, you don't love me because you don't affirm me. Spurgeon says, you give me the rough side of your tongue and make me see that you are not a very lovable person, but I can love you notwithstanding all. What? Will you do me a further unkindness? I will oppose you by doing you a greater kindness than before. You said a vile thing about me. I will not hear it, but if it be possible, I will say a kind thing of you. I will cover you up with hot coals till I melt you. He's talking about the the passage in Romans 12 where you were to heap burning coals on someone's head, not literally, but so that they would change their ways, hopefully. It's you love them, you kill them with kindness, as people sometimes say. I will war against you with flames of love till your anger is consumed. I will master you by being kinder to you than you have been unkind to me. It was that last phrase that got me. I will master you by being kinder to you then you have been unkind to me. It's not tit for tat. It's a persistent, grace-filled, wisdom-saturated, truth-abiding love that I know this is what God calls me to, and no matter how you treat me, I'm going to show you real love because that's the love that God's shown me. And, of course, that means that love perseveres even in suffering. Now, I'm not going to stay long on this point because I don't want to. I don't want to talk about suffering. I don't want to talk about a love that suffers. We've already addressed this in other places in this series, but there are a few things I want to talk about. Really loving someone well is going to involve suffering. Jesus says, John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I can't think of a better way of showing love to someone than laying down my life. But I ran across this other quote, and this isn't on the screen. This, isn't, this is just something that I want to address. And it's made me ponder. And I want to say it to you so that you'll ponder it. This person said that our capacity to suffer equals our capacity to love, which means it would equal our capacity for joy. Let me say it again. Our capacity to suffer equals our capacity to love, which equals our capacity for joy. If this person was right, 
If you're not willing to suffer for someone, you're also not going to have a lot of joy in your life. That seems backwards, doesn't it? That seems wrong. But think of the joy of Jesus. And he suffered. Suffered greatly for us. All right, I need to wrap this up. So, some of you know Gary Chapman. He's not like, you know, the greatest theologian in the world, but he came up with a very popular book that many people use, The Five Love Languages. Again, I would say that's just wisdom in knowing how to love people, seeing where they are and what they're doing with their, how they respond to your love. And so if you're trying to buy them gifts and they don't really respond well to that, but you show them acts of service and they go, oh man, you really love me, then that's just wisdom, all right? So whatever you think about Gary Chapman, just know that. But one thing he said that in his book that I have, I have kept it, tried to tuck it away. He says, our most basic emotional need is not to fall in love, but to be genuinely loved by another. To know a love that grows out of reason and choice, not instinct. I need to be loved by someone who chooses to love me, who sees in me something worth loving. The kind of love requires effort and discipline. It is the choice to expend energy in an effort to benefit the other person. And if that's true, have I got good news for all of us. That is a description of the love of Jesus, if I've ever seen one. You see, the love of Jesus for his people, it always endures. It always endures. No matter what he has to face with us, no matter what he has to deal with or bear with, the love of Jesus for his people always endures. Jesus meets what Chapman calls our most basic emotional need because he genuinely loves us. He's not faking it. He's not pretending to love us. He's not smiling at us when he meets us in the supermarket and as soon as we walk by, I go, ugh. That's not the love of Jesus. No, Jesus genuinely loves us. His love for us grows out of His divine reason and choice, not simply instinct. He chooses to love us, even though many times we're not really lovable. His love for us demonstrates effort and discipline. It expends energy in an effort to benefit us. In fact, he expended a lot of energy because he left heaven and came to earth as a human being. He spent 30-some years obeying God's law perfectly for our sake, and then he took all of our sins upon himself at the cross and died in our place and then rose from the dead, triumphant over those sins, over death. And he says, all who believe in me, I will give you that life. Trust me, believe in me, look to me, and you will have life and love that endures forever. And I think about the love of Jesus. I can't help but go to this passage that is uh, for husbands, woo, watch out, here it comes. 
But I want you to, as you, as you think about it and you go, ooh, this hurts a little bit, I want you to also think about what it says about Jesus. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her. See, looking out for her good. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. That is powerful love. A love that says, I want what's best for you so much, I'm willing to lay down my life. It is an enduring love. It is a love that is willing to suffer. It is a love that is filled with grace. It is a love that is filled with wisdom. It is a love that abides in perfect truth. It is the love that God has for us. Praise the Lord. So what are you going to do with this? What action point can you take away from this? This is going to sound a little funny, but I want you to bear with me. Hmm. Rehearse. Rehearse the truth of Christ's enduring love for you daily, especially when loving others is difficult. Is there someone in your life that it's hard for you to love them? It's difficult to love them well. It would be good for you. It would be good for me to rehearse the truth of the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever on a daily basis so that it gives me energy and power by the Holy Spirit to actually love them the way I have been loved. I have this recurring dream, and I don't know exactly why. I'm sure there's some psychological reason for which I do not want to know right now. But I have this recurring dream in which I'm in a play, and I have not rehearsed my lines, and I have not gone to all of the rehearsals, and it's opening night, and I'm standing behind the stage, I'm standing behind the curtain, knowing that eventually I'm going to have to go out on stage and say something, and do something. I don't know where I'm supposed to stand. I don't know my cues. I don't know my lines. And I'm just standing here going, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I'm looking around, and I'm saying, does anybody have a book? Does anybody have the play? Because I really need to like just review my lines. And nobody has one backstage. And I'm standing there going, I wish I had rehearsed this. When you're in a situation where you're facing really difficult people to love, you're going to wish that you had rehearsed the love of God in Christ for you on a daily basis. Rehearsing it makes it second nature. And then it's easy for it to flow. But if you don't rehearse it, it's going to be difficult for it to come out. And you're going to be standing there going, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Rehearse the truths about God's love for you in Christ. 
and you will grow in having a love that endures all things. So by the work of the Spirit, let's continue to persevere in loving others well. Let me pray for you that you'll be able to do that. Pray for me that I'll be able to do that. Holy Spirit, help me to rehearse the truths of the love of Jesus for me. A love that is not only filled with grace and saturated by wisdom and abiding in truth, but a love that is sacrificial. Willing to go the extra mile for me. Let me rehearse that over and over again until it flows out of me. Not just the words, but the love. And let that be true for all of these folks too. That they too would be able to rehearse these truths so much that it just flows out of their lives. And they are able to love one another and people outside of this building well. And we pray this in your name, Jesus, and for your glory. Amen.